Episode 103 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about summer fun with board games. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Aaron, Adam, and I talk about some ways to enjoy board games during the summer. This episode is actually three mini-episodes. I'll talk about playing solo games outside, Adam will discuss buying board games at garage sales, and Aaron and I finish it out with beach-themed games. Without further ado, I'll turn it over to myself, Adam, and Aaron talking about summer fun with board games. What solo games are the best for playing outside in the summer? This isn't something that I regularly do, but I could. There's nothing stopping me. But I'm thinking about what are the qualities of a solo game that makes it good for taking outdoors? This could be a patio, a front porch, a stoop even. Oh, stoop. Actually, you know what? I take that back. We're going to at least want a table, and I don't know what your stoop is like. Mine, that would not suffice. I want a game that's not too many pieces. It's kind of nice when you're playing a solo game by yourself and you have a full dining room table and you can just take up all the space. That's kind of a lot to set up outside. And another concern about being outside trying to play a board game is maybe a gust of wind, maybe an unexpected critter, maybe an unexpected rainstorm. I want something that I can pack away in a hurry if conditions change unexpectedly. So that rules out things like, I don't know, Hallertau and Fields of Arl. It definitely brings in a lot of rolling rights, not great in a rainstorm with the paper, and maybe even if it's too windy, but I think you'd be able to secure just your one sheet without a problem, and then the dice themselves are unlikely to blow away. I wouldn't want something like Turing Machine either, even though it is kind of meets these criteria. You might have to do some organizing if you put it away quickly. I don't think I want anything too overly pensive. I don't think I'd want to play Hadrian's Wall either. You could think oh, I want something pensive so I can stare off into nature as I think about my next move. I think I'm just not doing that. I think that would be more of a next to a window on a nice day game than really a truly outdoors game. So going off my own collection, I think my first pick if I was going to head outside right now, you know what? Let me pick five games. If I was going to head outside right now, honestly, it's a beautiful day. I should just be doing that instead of recording this, talking about doing it. Let me go ahead and get through this so maybe I can get outside. My first choice, I think I'll go with Floriferous. That's a little heavy on the theme because I'm going outside. It's all about flowers and taking a walk in nature. And again, I should probably just take the walk instead of even playing the game. You do have a lot of cards, so if it got windy, this one could be trouble. But it comes in a nice small box. There's even a, I believe, super small pocket version. I know of Herbaceous. I'm not sure if they made one for Floriferous as well. This is by Pencil First Games. Lovely solo mode where you are basically kind of shooing away a crow as you take your walk back and forth. My next pick would be Railroad Inc. Really any of them. They all have dry erase boards as well as dice. That would all be fine in any kind of weather. This is even a game that's a bit waterproof. Now the newer editions also have these like challenge cards to them and you could just choose to not use those. So you could even sit somewhere where it might be likely that you could get a little bit wet and this game would be totally fine. So I think Railroad Inc. would be a good second choice. Third, I would pick Space Park. 
This does have a small deck of cards. It's a pretty small board overall. And then it has those clear acrylic kind of gems that you're using as resources. I really enjoy this game. And I honestly couldn't tell you if I enjoy it so much because of actually the mechanics of the game or because it's just beautiful to look at. I think I would pick Bandata as my fourth game. This one is for one or two players. It also comes in a nice, like a little magnet close box. You are rolling dice. So you have like a couple little cards, but again, nothing that would be hard to secure down. And you have this initial roll of dice, and then you're kind of manipulating and changing these dice throughout the game. You're acquiring cards that determine different scoring based on what's on the dice. And at the end of the game, you score and find out if you've won. You know, another thing that I'm actually considering that I haven't mentioned, and this is a risk of playing outside thing, is a lot of times you might be on an imperfect table. Like maybe you're playing kind of on a picnic bench that has like slots in it where things could fall through. And I'll say for Space Park, if I took that one, I'd have to also bring some kind of container. We use the GameGenic uh, token silo, I think is what it's called. And it's basically just a plastic box with a snap-on lid that has a bunch of little boxes in it. I would say that's honestly the first thing to take. Really, when you're playing on the go, it's pretty good. Even at home, it's pretty good. But especially if you're on, especially if you're on a surface that's not perfect, those would be excellent to make sure that you don't lose any pieces in cracks or anything kind of rolls away from you. So Bandata is my fourth pick. And now my fifth and final choice for solo games outside. I would kind of like to go for something that is a little larger, but you know what? I have to go with Project L. I think that would be a really good one. It, if you have the deluxe edition, there's already trays in it that hold all the pieces. So that would be great. I do have to mention that the solo mode for Project L is different enough from the main game. It's not just a pure score attack. You kind of are locking different options in the tableau where you pull cards from. And it is still that balance of what can I fill out and how can I get the right amount of resources to get through it. But your opponent is able to just grab cards and inherently score them. They don't actually have to do anything. So it's not just you trying to get the points that you need, but it's how can you manipulate this board state, this tableau, this shared market? How can you manipulate it so that they are getting as few points as possible because that's what's gonna give you the opportunity to get points. So I think that's a good mix for me. I'm gonna go with Floriferous, very light game, very nature themed. And in the solo mode, you're trying to keep this crow away. I went with Railroad Inc. Really, whether you play that with a bunch of people or no one, it's the same game. You're just trying to get a high score. So other people show up, that's a good one that you can invite them into when you're outdoors. Someone walks by and sees it. Good one to invite them into. Space Park, you can't invite anybody else into that. And you are, there's not really an opponent either in that one. There's like this little robot figurine that's kind of blocking you. It's just making it a little more inconvenient for you to do what you want, but very easy to execute solo mode. And of course, you can say the same thing for Railroad Inc. since it's just the same game. It's not even really a solo mode. Bandata. Also a very easy solo mode, only goes up to two players. You won't be inviting many people into that one either. And the theme is birds. I think bandata is the word for a group of birds in another language, maybe Spanish. So all the cards have illustrations of birds on it. I mean, it wouldn't be crazy to call it like tiny little wingspan. It's not the same, but from a bird lover's perspective, maybe. 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe ignore that part. Maybe ignore that part. And then finally, Project L. If you do have that bigger edition, kind of the collector's one, you could fit all the other games inside this box and have room to spare. So this one is a bit bigger. The pieces are kind of chunky. I still say you're going to need something to put them in. If you have the regular edition, maybe get that token silo to put the pieces in. And I'd say this would do you for about, oh, I didn't even think like the cost of the games. None of these are too expensive. And Project L may have been expensive, but it is getting a reprint. The company that makes it is kind of, they uh, shut their doors for a while, but I believe they're coming back. So it should be a little easier to get that one. Not anything about that. I was thinking about time. How long are you going to be outside? That's another thing for me. I wouldn't necessarily want to start a two hour game outside because I might just get kind of like hot and over it. More of an indoors person, I guess, when it really boils, when you really boil it down. You'd spend maybe 20 minutes on Floriferous, not even 20 on Railroad Inc. I'd think Space Park around the same. So that there you're at an hour. Bandata's very quick. I think Bandata is going to be maybe 10 minutes. It depends on how long you want to think about your choices, but certainly a quick one. And then Project L for the solo mode, that might get up there a little bit. That depends again on how much you're trying to crunch versus just no dome it and just play. So you're going to have a good couple hours outside with these five games. What a way to spend an afternoon in summer. What I wanted to talk about today was it is first day of June, rabbit, rabbit. And what that means for me is that we are in full garage sale season. The weather is amazing. It is finally warm. Uh, I'm in the northern Midwest with garage sales come the endless possibilities to acquire lots of items. The item I want to talk about today, and the most appropriate for this podcast that we do, is board games. So a few things that I've already noticed this year is an increase in the number of board games available at garage sales. I would guesstimate that is attributed to maybe a post-pandemic where people acquired a lot of indoor activities for a couple of years. Then now that I'm seeing more people out, more people are going out and about. Those games might not be used in the way that they were uh, two or three years ago. So that could be why, but I am definitely seeing them. And we've talked about kind of how to acquire games and maybe that some of the, there's some cost prohibitiveness to games. And this could be kind of an interesting way to get games at a more affordable price point on this. But with that comes a few different, what I'm going to say, things that you need to accept. On this. So if you're not a regular garage sale goer or not an acquirer of used games in this way, right? This is a little different than if buying a used game at a store where they may have gone through the game or there is a level of accountability with that game. So if not all the pieces there, you can't go back to someone's house and say, hey, it's missing a meeple on this. So you, you just accept the fact that you're getting what you're getting. Now you could, I guess, open the box, go through all of the pieces and check um, it's not what I'm doing. Again, I'm more just accepting the chaos of the pieces may or may not be in that box. That's the first thing we need to accept is that not all the pieces may be there, uh, including the rule book, which uh, is not as big of a deal as it was in my youth, where if you didn't have the rules, you couldn't do anything with that. But now the rules are probably available online. There's probably a YouTube tutorial, even if it is like an older, obscure game on this. The second thing I would say that you need to accept if you are going to kind of acquire games this way is the game might not be fun. If you buy an older game 
that doesn't exist and hasn't existed for the last 40 years, well, maybe they stopped making it because nobody wanted to play it. We've really evolved in a lot of ways as far as how games are now played. When you go back a certain amount of time, sometimes it's just a lot of like rolling dice and moving a pawn around a board in a very linear way where it's not really strategic. It's not necessarily very fun. It's kind of like Candyland, but with like just a different theme on it where you're not really doing anything. There's not really competition or strategy on that. You might run into that or other elements of not funness. I would say that the fun to cost point you know, you didn't spend necessarily $60 on a game to not have fun. You maybe only spent $2 on a game to not have fun. Maybe that makes it better. The other thing to, to note is that if you're going to just be buying random old games, ah, the game may not have aged well. Um, if we're talking about characters and people and roles from 40, 50 years ago uh, at this point on some of these games, not all of that. Uh, we're, we're certainly not going to have a more progressive game probably going back that far uh, than we do nowadays on that. So keep that in mind if you're just kind of grabbing random games and then playing them with your family or friends. Uh, but I think there's a lot of benefits, and that's what I want to really focus on with this, is you're probably not spending a lot of money on these. I mean, some of these games are a dollar, two dollars on this, especially if we're looking kind of older classic games. Maybe those are games you thought, oh, you know what, I never have played Boggle, but you don't want to go buy it new on that because you don't know if you're going to like it. We'll spend 50 cents or a dollar on a game of Boggle and then play it with your family. Or again, there's just, you'll run across just kind of these random Milton Bradley, Parker Brothers games, or even just other kind of obscure uh, spy games and war games from back in the day. So like you can kind of find these unique titles that you've probably never heard of for, for a very low amount of money. And if everyone's kind of in that same spirit of, yeah, let's just try this thing, and it's a really, uh, I mean, what else are you going to do in an evening for that cost? Probably not a lot. The other thing is you might find a surprisingly good game. For as much as I said earlier, you may need to accept that it's not a good game. You might find a super cool game out of this. Or again, one of those kind of classic games maybe you have not played before that you're like, oh, that is really good. I see why that is in rotation still. Um, one of the benefits is I've seen a lot, again, kind of in this post-pandemic world. I'm seeing like sealed board games out there at a really good price point, and I'm seeing like higher strategy games. So kind of the games, maybe not like the BGG top 100 kind of games, but definitely ones that would be in conversation on our podcast, other people's podcast, where it's, I don't wanna say real games, but I mean, you know, again, these kind of more noted games, noteworthy games are also showing up. Keep that in mind as well, that you don't have to just necessarily dig through 50 year old games. I'm seeing a lot more newer things on that. And, uh, and I think there's just, if, if you kind of look at this as a real kind of fun, maybe even kind of like a silly uh, way of playing games, there's some cool things with it. And, and I think the number one tip I would say is if you do go and you do find like an old game with like an old scorecard, and you may see where they've got like somebody has used that scorecard before. My tip is keep that card. You have now just entered a ghost opponent in your game with this. So if it's a game of scoring, well, now you get to find out if you can beat Paul, who scored 178 on this, and see how you match up against him. You don't know who he is. Maybe he's amazing at the game. Maybe he's terrible at the game. But it's kind of a fun way to include just these used elements in that. Or if it's like a, uh, like a categories type game or any of those where uh, like the words cancel out. Well, guess what? 
you've got a, a list of words now that you have to compete against and you don't even know what they're going to say on these kind of things. So you can kind of have even like a, a deeper level of fun with some of these if you so choose. But um, yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there. If you haven't considered doing it, garage sales, I think are super fun. Uh, I can sing the praises of them all day, but it is a an option and a way to acquire some fun or not fun games that may or may not all be there. How do you feel about sand? I like sand. You know, people complain about it a lot, like, oh, then I leave the beach and there's sand everywhere. But living in Indiana, I don't see sand that often. And when I do, it's so thoroughly intentional that I'm pretty happy about it. You can't just, yeah, maybe if you live along the lakes, uh, very northern Indiana. Right. Otherwise, you aren't just chancing into sand. Yeah, most of the sand I've encountered in my life, I've been intended to keep in a box. In a box? Like a sandbox. Oh, I wasn't even considering sandboxes because we're talking about beach-themed games. We At first, I was just going to say, okay, it's summer fun. Let's do oceanic kind of game. And then I realized, and this is from our collection, I realized how much I like pirates. And yeah, it's like then half the collection. It's not half the collection. It's not half, nearly. I wish. Jim Phillips, I mean, he's just... It's not, but he's not, boats. that's more Vikings. I didn't even say there are more Viking games also getting in here. There's Vikings, there's pirates, there's uh, just shipping, like Guild of Merchants Explorers, Traders of Osaka, like shipping merchant stuff. Maracaibo, Polynesia. A, that gets a little bit pirate adjacent. Polynesia. We're not going to do any of those. We're trying to stick to as close as just pure summer fun beach on a board game as possible. So what we came up with was I'm just going to run through all of them first. Maui, Santa Monica, Juicy Fruits, Tidal Blades Banner Festival, and Palm Island. A delightful batch of summer fun. Now. I don't think you like Palm Island. No, it's I don't want a dexterity memory. Yeah, card the cards game. that we have are super slippery. But the idea is that you play the whole game in your hands. You can play with more than one. You can play with two people, maybe. I don't know if you can play with more than that. And you kind of are cycling through a deck that's in your hand. And you turn cards different ways to show what resources that you have. It does get a little hard to hold. I think we may have, we got it used. I think we may have an edition that they improved upon later with a second edition. Did they just change the mechanic so it didn't have to play in your No, ball? I think it still plays in your hand, but I think the cards are still waterproof. That's a feature of the game. I think the one we have might be waterproof. I think they changed it so they have a little more grip friction yeah. on it's them. A, it's yeah. a, it, it ends up being a dexterity game, but there's no benefits to being dexterous. It's just more fun if you're dexterous. It's just hard to keep it together. You could definitely play it at the beach with the Palm Island theme. Say uh, in Maui. Say in Maui, perhaps. Maui is really, it could have been any theme, but I feel like that's what makes it perfect for summer fun games because it is a fun summer theme. You're putting beach blankets on the beach, but like a board game. So there's very like certain ways where you can match it up and then you're trying to match the same patterns, I believe, to get more points. It's, it's very light. We... It was one that I got on clearance and I was like, well, yeah, sure, I'll try it. And I don't know if it's going to be quite good enough to stay, even more so when I'm evaluating all of these beach themed games, like maybe there's some overlap. Santa Monica is pretty good. You also, maybe you don't like beach games. I, I mean, I don't like Santa Monica, but I acknowledge that it is a 
relatively it's medium to lightweight, but there's a lot in it, and it's it's well designed. Yeah, I I don't like playing it. I would say that it's light. In Santa Monica, you're like creating the boardwalk. So as you're putting cards out, you're putting them like the boardwalk is kind of down the middle. You're making this long line, and above that, you're kind of doing the beachside theme and and up into the water. And on the other side, you're doing like shops and stuff like that. I think is how it works. It's been a while. And you're moving people around. Yeah, so you have like tourists, you have locals, I think you have VIPs maybe. And so you're trying to get different people in different spots along your beachside boardwalk. Juicy Fruits is like a slide puzzle game. I just think of chewing gum every time I hear the name. So Oh, Juicy Fruit. Yeah. I haven't seen Juicy Fruit chewing gum, at least not mindfully, in some time. They might not be doing so well. Anyways, Juicy Fruits, excellent. Uh, Capstone Games title and Deep impact deep print i think deep print games they also did corrosion that same duo oh, that's a fun game and juicy fruits it looks a lot lighter and silly beach fun than it actually is like you would put it next to maui and santa monica and think oh yeah it's just like these but there's a little more going on you can kind of find yourself because this is slide puzzle where you have your own board and the resources on it you move them to collect the resource but just like a slide puzzle, you can kind of get yourself like stuck. Like you can kind of get your resources together in one spot. And you, the further you move them, every square you move it is one resource you get. So if you get them kind of bundled up, then you find yourself stuck, not being able to get a lot. There's a little deeper than I think the very colorful and like rounded typography would suggest. I find it very engaging and fun. Yeah, Juicy Fruits is a good one. And the last one that we mentioned, Tidal Blades Banner Festival. There's a regular Tidal Blades game. Like, it's it, uh, all I honestly know about it is that it's very pretty and it comes in a very long box. I've never played it myself. And I want to think there's more things being created in this Tidal Blades world. But for Banner Festival, it's like a little trick-taking sort of game, but you don't always want to win the trick. Like, The cards you have have special powers and depending on where you finish in the trick is whether you win it or take the special power. The, um, the dominant suit changes with this little like rondelle in the middle of the board that everyone kind of has some impact in turning your hand. Isn't I, what I like about a game like this, what's coming to trick taking games is we aren't set in stone, you know, classic trick taking. It's like, it's hearts as spades or whatever. Like, that's the thing. So you always know what your hand is like, no matter what. Play the same all the time. Yeah, this, because it kind of changes. I I enjoy that. I don't think it's really far from, well, I guess, I guess it is. I was going to say like the crew, but I only mean that, I guess, in the sense of modern trick-taking games where the outcome that's best for you isn't always going to look the same hand-to-hand. I am... A super fan of all of the interesting mechanics that are coming to trick-taking games. Okay. But as someone who's classically excellent at trick-taking games historically, oh, I find them locked down. I find them challenging. And like essentially, it's inviting me to learn new patterns of card play. But at the beginning, yes. it's frustrating because I am I mean that that groove is deep on yeah. how to play a hand of cards. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Out of those, Palm Island. Tidal Blades Banner Festival, Juicy Fruits, Santa Monica, Maui. Aaron, which one is your favorite? And which one do you think buried in the sand? Oh, we're going to bury like just organizing beach towels in the sand. Really? And not Palm Island? Okay, Maui. 
Uh, you may find it. Frankly, I forgot about Maui. Palm Island. It was so bad. Okay, uh, so Maui. Maui, I mean. So Palm Island is buried even below Yeah, and then Maui. the trick-taking game is my favorite. Tidal Blades Banner Festival. Yeah. I think that, like, I want to say Juicy Fruits is my favorite. I think it might be the most. If there I, was an objective right answer to which is the best of these five games, I think it's Juicy Fruits, but I like trick-taking. Yeah, I think that that's, like, objectively the answer. I think that I would probably say Santa Monica is my favorite. Oh. I really like the artwork and the, it doesn't really matter the theme versus what you're actually doing. But I feel like they just have a nice fit for the weight of the game, for what you're doing, for the mechanics of how it works. And I have a preference towards games where when you're done, you kind of have this little unique world that you've made just mm. in your version of the game it it's something that draws me to want to play it again because it's like what will my boardwalk look like this time you also like games that you can score at the end without having to know the order that things happened but isn't there is there nothing in that game that you can't score until the end i don't think so i think it's all in-game scoring oh that's we'll true and the currency is sand dollars i mean they, they've done a nice job yeah it's it's a very good looking game it comes in a box that's entirely too large it's going to be so annoying to put in your beach bag when you go to play it but beach bag beach bag like you're taking it to the beach i mean i got it i just have no it's an interesting fun thought i don't know why i decided we would have you not heard about, about beach it. bags i know about beach bags okay thank you so much for listening to episode 103 be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop you can follow us on instagram twitter and twitch at variant hex we have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com, and you can email us at podcast at VariantHex.com. Aaron and I were going to talk about Big Games June, which is not a real thing. We made it up because we have a lot of heavy games still left on our list to play before Gen Con. You'll hear more about that in our Halfway There episode. We've just reached 50% of our collection played, and maybe we're a bit delusional and we're going to try to play the other 50% in the next two months. I don't know. If the next episode is not the Halfway There episode, it'll probably be a game review of some sort or our board game of the month for May. Unless you're listening to these in reverse, in which case you have 102 more episodes headed your way, the next one being Adam and I reviewing every game that's in the That's Pretty Clever series. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Mm -hmm.